Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show, interviews with folk and trad acts Mary Wallopers and Owen O'Canavon, who have both released brilliant debut albums recently. And we have new tunes and introductions to said new tunes from all the Brave Hunters, a.k.a. Alan McFadden from the Vagabonds Band, and Cork artist Molly O'Mani, a track from her just-released debut album, The House of David. But first up, Mary Wallopers are one of the best bands in the country. Their live streams helped a lot of people over the lockdowns of 2020 and 2021, and their actual IRL live shows are helping people let off a lot of steam post-lockdown. I saw them at All Together Now over the summer and it was just amazing, incendiary. The crowd was going crazy for them. They've got a load of live dates coming up before the end of the year. If you want to see for yourself what that experience is like, the tour begins in the National Stadium in Dublin on November 17 and it continues with a little break before they set up at the Set Theatre in Kilkenny on December 1st. Cypress Avenue in Cork on December 2nd, Royal Theatre in Castlebar on the 3rd, Kavanaugh's in Port Leash on the 7th of December, they're in Donegal in Sean Oaks on December 8th, Mandela Hall in Belfast December 9th, then they're over in the UK and Scotland playing Edinburgh, Bristol, London, Manchester, Glasgow, Newcastle, Nottingham, and then back post-Christmas for Mike the Pies in Listowel on December 28th and Dolan's in Limerick on new year's eve what a gig that will be a three-piece of hendy brothers andrew and charles who i talked to in clonacilty for a live tpoe episode number 146 back in september or october 2019 and sean mckenna mary wallopers in 2022 swelled to a seven-piece live and after a couple of delays they finally released their self-titled debut album a few weeks ago And if they were one of the bands of the lockdown, this is one of the albums of the year. You might worry that an album fails to capture the live energy of a band, but you've got the absolute highs of cod liver oil and the orange juice, which has already reached anthemic levels. But it's juxtaposed with absolutely beautiful songs like Building Up and Tearing England Down and The Butcher Boy. Mary Wallopers could go in any direction from here. That's how it feels. That's how the album feels and that's just so exciting for a band as well as for a listener. I talked to Andrew from the band recently just a a week or two after the Irish women's national team had qualified for the 2023 World Cup but became engulfed in a weird controversy for singing Ooh Ah Up The Ra in the dressing room afterwards. A clip that made its way to social media saw everybody have their say yada yada yada. It's also known as Celtic Symphony by the Wolf Tones, and I was interested to hear what Andrew had to say about that. When I talked to them in 2019, they said they could sing hundreds of songs, so I was wondering if this one was in their repertoire. So, just so you know the context of how the conversation goes, here's Andrew from Mary Wallopers on the point of everything. A newsy question to start off with. I presume that you saw the whole furor over the uh, Irish women singing Ooh Ah Up The Ra last week. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought it was... Me- Firstly, do you want the, the good news or the bad news first? I suppose <laughs> we'll start with a bad point and then end with a positive point. The first thing I thought was mad was that uh, 
that that interview happened at all. That was ridiculous. The fact they were made to apologize was so so uncalled for. And also, like I I wonder if they would have been spoken to like that if it was a male football team. The way that reporter on Sky News was like, now do you think that maybe you should educate yourself? It was like it, it was very patronizing. And also the gall the gall of uh of a British media person to to say that to an Irish person was ridiculous. So I think like fair play to them for turning the other cheek and just apologizing, but there was definitely nothing to apologize for. Like, you know, it, it's it's mad that people always will will go will start talking about murder and stuff the the minute uh, any kind of Republican sentiment is is uh, shows its face. But like the British Empire has the blood of millions of people on its hands. You know, even when Queen Elizabeth died, you know, she she was in power while so many atrocities happened, while famines happened in countries. There was concentration camps. There was there was uh, there was continued mistreatment of ordinary people even ordinary people in the north of England got and in the south of England got terribly treated under British colonialism so the fact that people could 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 not be seen to say one bad word about Queen Elizabeth when she died and say oh but she's an old lady and she died God help her but then like a football team do something amazing and then they sing a song that's also a football song the Celtic Symphony is a football song at the end of the day and uh of course, it has Republican sentiment in it, but it was just um, so so unfair for the team that that happened. But I think what is positive is it seemed to be the case that nearly everyone in the country was like they didn't do anything wrong, and i I don't know, I don't know if that would have been the same ten years ago. But it seems there's more of a more of a thing in the country now where people are going like, do you know what, colonialism is awful. And it's okay to say that, and it's okay to make fun of the Brits because they deserve it. If all we can do is make fun of them, we have to do that. <laughs> uh, have you guys played Celtic Symphony live or anything like that? Have you have you done covers of it or anything? No, no. I like to be honest. I don't think it's a great song. Like, I, I, I get, I get, I, I get the crack of it. You know, I, I get that and all. That that's fair enough. But I think. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm incredibly proud to be Irish, but I, I, uh, I think some some rebel songs can be patriotic and nearly an American way that they're like Ireland is the greatest country in the world, you know. And I think I don't think that's the type of uh, patriotism I want to portray, you know. Whereas there's there's amazing there's amazing rebel songs that snare the English with with great wit and with uh, you know, there's still like the Merry Playboy, for example, is is a song about going to join. We're off to Dublin in the green and the green, and we're joining the IRA. It's about a fella leaving his home to join the IRA. But the the melody of that was taken from a British war song that was sung during World War One. So they took the melody of of a uh, of a uh, English song and changed it to be about joining the IRA. It's like I'm leaving beside I'm leaving behind my horse and cart on my donkey and I'm going to go up to Dublin and join the IRA. That's that's great, you know. Even like yeah. there's even songs like Kinky Boots that's pretty funny, you know. It's like I got a brand new shiny helmet and a pair of kinky boots. I got a lovely new flak jacket and a lovely boiler suit. 
Oh, when we go on night patrol, we hold each other's hands. We are the British Army and we're here to take your land. And like that's that's a real Provo era song, like you know, that's probably seventies or eighties. But that's great, you know. But um you know what? I don't want to go against Celtic Symphony either because like whatever. It's 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 all right for people to be chanting ooh up the ra. Yeah. It's, it seems like just the latest kind of incident this year you know like the wolf tones actually had like a bit of controversy around that irish festival that they played i think it was up in belfast at the end of august kneecap you know had that mural and there was yeah we played oh oh yeah yeah yeah. so like i mean you you probably saw it like they were it seemed online anyway they were getting a lot of shit yeah we were getting a bit of abuse as well for doing it yeah just online like or yeah, just online from but like mm. if ever there was a community to be outraged all the time, it is the loyalists. <laughs> like at the end of the day, they're they're uh, people go like, oh, everyone's as bad as each other. But if you stop for a minute and realize, like a lot of unionists in the north, they're anti-abortion, they're anti-LGBT, they're anti-Irish. Like they they look at people speaking Irish as an act of aggression, you know, and and they're outraged at every corner even if you listen to their songs their songs are like naked fun of people who die in, in such a spiteful way you know they have a song that's like would you like a chicken burger bobby sands that was released around the time when he was on hunger strike the irish songs generally the most staunch republican songs are always like and we will get our freedom or you know it's always been freedom and liberty and and uh fighting for for your rights whereas the the songs from the unionist side are always like they have a song that's 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 to the tune of sleep john b and and the hook is the famine is over why don't you go home as if irish people are not in their own home so i think loyalists are going to be outraged i do feel bad for them in a way because they have ideas of of colonialism and britishness that they've been a totally they've been totally abandoned and they're delusioned with an idea of grandeur from the empire that doesn't exist and people in England don't even know about them 90% of the time and uh it's a trick like it's it's sad for them that they're like that but also i don't care what your heritage or tradition is you can't be walking down the street being anti immigrant anti lgbt anti abortion like they're they're bringing the country back a thousand years so i don't really care if they're outraged at me i'd rather that because like as far as i'm concerned a lot they're fascists so if they like they're if you're if you're not annoying them you're probably doing something wrong <laughs> yeah i was watching their video that you did a couple of years ago on the beach against uh um i don't know was it Gemma darty was actually there on the beach yeah. and like he confronted her like it's it I mean, it still holds up, you know, still great. I don't know. Have you have you done anything like that again lately? No, to be honest, like we we, we didn't even think about that on the day. We just realized they were in our town. So we were like, right, that's that's uh, we're going to do something about it, you know, um, because of, like I seen I seen a video of Gemma O'Doherty around that time. I seen a video of her in a halal shop asking them why they're not selling sausages and rashers. Being like, this is Ireland. We need to eat sausages and rashers here. Just attacking some man who's minding his own business, working in the shop. And uh, they were on in our town. So we were just like, well, we're going to go over to them and be like, what are you doing here? Because they're just spreading hate. 
And uh, I think if everyone if everyone just reacts to public demonstrations of hate like that in their area, counter protest or do what you need to in your own area, then there's no problem. You know, I I don't I don't. Uh, I think we make our points. We make our we make our points and opinions known in a broad way, and so like through our music and stuff. That like, you know, I don't I don't have the time to be following around lunatics, far right lunatics, and doing stuff. You know, and some people dedicate all their time to doing that, and fair play to them. But I just I like we only do what we can. You know, but it's when it's on our doorstep, we'll we'll like. Uh, we will fight against it as everyone should it's just like picking up rubbish <laughs> um how is dundalk doing at the moment is it is it in good health is it is it okay yeah it's great there's loads of you know there's loads of sessions happening all the time um there's loads of music happening most of the bands are all on tour from dundalk which is great you know like us and just mustard and jinx Lennon and dave keenan like ev- everyone is, and amac as well like all these people from the dock are just flying out class music and it's it's uh it's great and what why do you think it is at the moment that dundalk is kind of having a bit of a moment is it just like right place right time or is it just there's nothing to do in dundalk like of course they're gonna be out making music and doing stuff there was always a good music scene in dundalk like even like you know there was a great punk scene and stuff and um like in jink like jinx has always been playing music. There was a great music scene when he was growing up. And um, the location of Dundalk has always met at a place where you need to think about identity because it's beside the border. And like you're co- there's constant reminders of, of the whole situation with the border. And then there's like, it's far enough away from anywhere else that if you want to, if you want to have culture, you have to make it. And um, it's always had that. But like when we... Like when our generation was was all teenagers, like there was loads of, there was loads of gigs and stuff. Every all everyone was in bands. People would go and play in teenage gigs, that like teenagers would set up promotion companies and put on gigs. And like everyone that's in bands now went to them. I was I was a bit younger. I kind of missed them. But like Charles and Sean would have been at, at all them gigs. They all each had their own bands. Dave Keenan would have been there. All of Just Mustard would have been there. Uh. Efo would have been there from AMAC. There's everyone was playing music as teenagers, and everyone who did that is now still playing music, and uh, it just shows that there's always been a strong kind of DIY scene in in Dundalk and Negro and Pacto as well are doing class stuff. They're they're playing loads, um, around the country as well. And it's there's loads of different genres of music, but we all help each other out and we all get inspired by each other and inspire each other and uh it's great it's 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 a proof of build it and it'll happen you know and it's great uh just one more question about that loyalist thing i forgot to ask like those loyalist songs that you mentioned are they still getting played by acts nowadays or is is there hardly anyone playing them it's certainly played at parties and stuff you know they're like um they're they're I suppose the thing is, like, our our musical, the Irish music tradition is so strong and the quality of songwriting and instrument playing is, is amazing, you know, but I suppose it's because it's such an old culture, but there's still obviously marching bands and stuff like that, but a lot of those loyalist songs are kind of like karaoke type songs. They're all to the tune of, like, popular songs, you know, like, like that one's to the tune of Sloop John B. The, 
the other one is like, would you like a chicken supper, Bobby Sands? And it's like, it's like that tune, you know? So a lot of them are like uh, karaoke songs and they're deaf. They're still played the whole time, you know? But I don't, they don't, I don't think they necessarily have bands in the same way. Like they have people who sing in pubs and stuff like that and they'd still be singing those songs, you know? And they have another one that's like, we hate Catholics. Everybody hates Roman Catholics. And the thought, the thought that that that's the same as Catholic Symphony is mad. You know, and you have to think about like the IRA was started as a reactionary thing. And it's such a bold word. People get uncomfortable at the even mention of the IRA because it's such a hot topic. But like uh, at whatever it became, it has to be still appreciated that the IRA was a reactionary thing. You know, and it was, it's like the provisional IRA, all of that came from the civil rights movement in the 70s. Like it has to be appreciated that the Republican struggle in the North molded itself off a civil rights protest that were happening in America for black people because voting rights were so bad for Catholics that like there was so much corruption that made it hard for them to physically be alive in the North. Arguably harder than life would have been for Irish people in Dublin in 1916. So, a couple of people singing Ua Up the Ra as part of that song. It's kind of a silly song anyway, you know, it's a foot, it's like, it's like, a, there's like, a, I think, I can't remember all the verses, but it's something like, I went through the jungle deep and met a line and all this stuff. It's like, it, it's kind of like a, it's a play song, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's also, you find- it is kind of cleverly written in a way that he's talking about going to meet natives in, in, in a far off jungle because those natives have also been crippled by colonialism. Do you know, and that's like, do you know what? I don't want to say Catholic Symphony is a bad song, do you know, because <laughs> it, it has every right to exist, but it's definitely not nearly as hateful as the Loyalist songs. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you find it weird that like you you know, like I'm asking you about these questions. I presume that you kind of get asked stuff regularly, like just a, about the whole kind of northern question and everything like that. Do you are, are you like well informed, keeping well informed about it? Would you rather like just talk about the music or? I think it's incredibly important to talk about the political situation. For us, you know, if I go to my friend's house five minutes away, I get a text saying I'm in the United Kingdom and I have done my whole life. It, it's a, it's constantly there, you know. And even aside from that, you, you can also see there's things in, living in the North because it's a different political state. People I know have like uh, cheaper rent or they have better health care or they, ha- they have things that are better because it, they have a different government. And I think like, I think it'd be great to have all those people voting in the South and voting as one government because it could really make change. I think it's important to, I suppose I feel very passionate about it, you know. I'd love to see an Ireland that had no border and it also had no church. You know, like the, it's a very valid, uh, a very valid statement to say that like, loyalists are not going to want to be part of, of like uh, this like Catholic Ireland, you know. When like the church have so much twisted power over the country, they own so many hospitals, they own so many schools, 
Like the fact they're still beating beating religion into children is is, is ridiculous. Like you know, so the change I'd love to see is no no church or or border in the country. So yeah, I love. I, l- I love that you're saying that with the smirk on your face. It's like that's what I'd love to see. I don't know if I'll if I'll see it anytime soon. Yeah, but it's getting better, you know. I think everyone yeah. the the power of the church is dwindling, and also people are starting to be more okay with talking about Irish unity and about republicanism and about Irish pride. And I think that's great. I think it's good that people are finally Irish people are having more confidence in. Ireland and I think that's uh, that's a thing that it's going to take a long time to heal but it's like it's colonial um, it's it's a it's a a product of oppression that people Irish people are so apologetic for rebelling a lot of the time you know but mm. obviously we have a great rebellious culture but like there's also a thing where like A great sports star is on the television and an English an English journalist is telling them they should educate themselves because they sung a song, a rebel song, you know, and it, yeah. that's ridiculous and totally unfair. Do you have to watch yourselves when you're playing live in the UK? I mean, like are you kind of talking about some of this stuff or are you like, no, we better better leave it out. We talk about more in the UK because I think it's important, oh. like people in in the uk a lot of them are not they don't get this education they don't learn about margaret thatcher's influence over the north they don't talk about the the udr mi5 and and paramilitary organization collusion that happened in the north they don't learn about the black and tans they don't learn about the bengal famine they, they don't learn about what they did in in kenya they, they don't like they don't learn about any of the stuff. They don't learn about the slavery. They learn about not. They learn about Henry VIII getting his head cut off or whatever. Do you know they or getting his or whatever the fuck. They they just learn about like what they want to what the government want to portray to people. So I think nine times out of ten, if you speak to English people about for you can spend a minute talking to an English person about Irish history, and then at the end of the conversation, they're going, "Fuck, you're dead right." Because people are good people or whatever. Like, the majority of people are good people. It doesn't matter what country you're from. You know, when we're giving out about the Brits, we're giving out about the British government and colonialism. And colonialism is wrong, whether it's coming from France or Portugal or Britain or America. It's all wrong. And uh, to me, of course, I, I love Ireland. But to me, it's not just Ireland versus England. It's just, it's right versus wrong. So yeah. we never we never stop talking about it because it's important to open the conversation and to get people thinking about it and and what's what's right and what's wrong. You know, there's so much war going on in the world as a result of colonialism. Even the Palestine and Israel situation that was all created by the British government and NATO after World War Two. You know, it's um, this the scope of, of destruction is so large all over the world because of colonialism there probably wouldn't be people getting into homemade rafts to go across the Mediterranean Sea and then drowning to try and have a better life if it wasn't for them creating that situation for the people in the first place. And then they have the nerve to talk about refugees like they're like they're some kind of vermin. You know, so I, I think, um, no, we never, 
ever stop. It's more important than the music, really. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it, that's what the music's for in a way. I think, especially for us, like it's it, it it's the only reason we play music is because it's a way to deal with injustice. Uh that's a great a great line. You caught me there. Um, do you want to talk about music though? I feel like we better we were better before uh, we run out. Um, <laughs> how are you feel? How are you feeling about uh, about the album? Congratulations on it. Are you happy with it? Uh, thanks a million. It's great to finally get it out. You know, we were sitting on it for so long. We actually recorded all these songs in 2017 as well. So um, they're five years old. No, no, we recorded them and then we we re-recorded. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So we recorded it in. We started recording it in the winter of 2019 and finished it. I think in 2021. But we've been sitting on it because of the lockdown for so long. And I'm actually mad to just get cracking on the second album. Like we, we actually started doing demos for the second album already, which is exciting. But this this album's great because it's we really just wanted to capture the the kind of live energy of us playing. So we've a few songs that are like me, Charles, and Sean, and it's very very live. And then we also we hadn't even played with the bigger band at this point, so we just started experimenting with with drums and stuff like that. Like Noonan from Just Mustard is playing drums on the album, and. Uh, Roisin, Roisin was in the album as well and Kevin Shields and Finian O'Connor but um, and like they're all play with the band now as well but um, it's a good introduction to what we want to do musically with the bigger band and I think it, it's exciting it's exciting to the thought of what the next album is going to be like that's what I'm more buzzing about than anything but um, it's it's strange just having having sat in it for so long I feel like it's already out if you know what I mean mm. but It'll be interesting to see how people actually li- listen to it, you know. Yeah, I guess people would like know a lot of the songs as well because they've been around, seen them on the live streams and stuff yeah. like that. But I was reading Patrick Frayne's feature with you in the Irish Times last year. Yeah, he, he's he said that like, oh, the album is done; it'll be ready to come out later in twenty twenty one. So, like, what happened there? Was it just another lockdown hit or something? Yeah, yeah, another lockdown. So we were we were kind of record companies were trying to sign us and stuff for that as well and uh, uh, making atrocious offers to us. So um, we didn't do that, thankfully. But um, really, you said no to the record labels. No, we um, no, we're self-releasing because uh, you can do that nowadays without you know major record labels trying trying corners up and coming bands and, and milk it milk them for everything they've got and uh, we didn't do that what made you like were you asking other people is this a good deal should we take it I mean like the temptation yeah. must be there to to say yes to the money I'm guessing yeah like when you know like when you drop out of college and you know maybe even leave your job and decide I want to become a musician I want to play I want to play music full time everyone around you is kind of thinking like you're you're a bit of an idiot or something, you know. And then the idea of success that you're given as growing up for a musician, it's like, oh, they they, they got signed and they met met the big time. They got signed to a label, and maybe that was the case at one stage, but it, it's not the case anymore, you know. So there was definitely a thing of like, right, well, this is a big opportunity. I know they're making a terrible offer, but they're uh, they have the tools to make make you put your music all over the world and stuff but to be honest 
we chatted to some of our friends who'd been through the Miller with big record labels and they were def- like confirmed everything we thought about not doing it. And, uh, you know, they were looking for something like 14, potentially 14 years of our lives. And they were offering very, very little in return. And uh, look, with, with the internet and and uh, your friends, you can just, you can put music out from anywhere in the world. You don't need a record label. They're, they're dormant. They're, they're um, yeah. Whatever about smaller <laughs> record labels, f- fair enough. That's great. But like major labels that own, that own, more than 50% of the world's music I, I'd love to see a day that they don't exist but but if they came, if say that this album does really really well and they come back with a much improved offer would you still be like oh fuck yous we're, we're grand as we are no if it's business if they make a good offer we'll accept it <laughs> you know we're not stupid good. Like, but just <laughs> it's just hilarious that they they try they, they make money ripping off young creative people who are starting out and then they'd leave them at the sideline and they just continue on. So we're not like, if an offer is good, obviously accept it. But if it's not stick to your guns, you know, you've got a couple of really lovely songs on the album, like really gentle, uh, kind of folk songs. And then you've got the proper rollicking stuff as well. Like the frost is all over. Like, do you have a preference? Was, would, could you have easily done like, an album of ballads almost i think it's all it, it's all part of uh what's great about irish folk music is there's just every emotion is covered you know and it's all part of life sometimes you feel aggressive and hyper and sometimes you feel like having a laugh and sometimes you feel sad i think if we did a song of all one t- one emotion it would it wouldn't be as good you know the gentle the gentle sadder songs have more meaning when you've when you've loosened up by having a good time first you know you i think even at sessions a lot of the time a great session you'll have kind of songs that are a bit of crack and then maybe more passionate ones come in later when everyone's ready for them and i think it's important to have uh, uh it's a reflection of life you know life is not all one emotion you know it's kind of like all the songs are valid the all of a place you know and tell me about Cod Liver Oil because that just seems like your real calling card. Have you recorded it for this album? Was it just like let's just make it bigger than before? Let's go as big as we can with it. Well, we just we'd never we never released it properly the last time, and we just kind of put it out. Now we did a great music video for it last time. It was kind of like a Coronation Street kind of buzz. I was great. Like a, I was. I actually like I loved the original recording, but um, so many people have not listened to us before. And if we had to put out the album, they wouldn't they wouldn't have heard it. We thought the song deserved to be heard again, you know. And we we, we it was fun to experiment to doing a different kind of version of it, you know. Because obviously every time you play, you get better at like practice is just makes you better a lot of the time. So that was we recorded that in 2017 and we've been playing it live for like years. So it was good to come back at it and, and record it again. With, a, with with all the brass and stuff. And looking forward, like, do you have original songs of your own? Yeah. So we we started doing demos for the second album already. So we've we've actually uh, we've we've demoed like three original songs already, and we probably have have more. 
so we're we're still working on that because we want to we want to fit them in uh we want them to fit with the songs you know it feels like there's a big pressure on on original songs because you're singing them alongside songs that have maybe been sung for hundreds of years and developed over hundreds of years we're like planting uh we're planting saplings beside 500 year old oak trees or something you know uh last couple of questions won't keep you much uh longer but is it mad to see like the reaction to you i saw you at um all together now it had been a couple of years since since i had seen you and the tent was rammed it was fucking going off i was yeah. just like what is happening here like is did you always envision that you would get a reaction like that down the line or were you, are you completely taken aback by i don't know the crowds that you're getting almost sorry to know i don't think i really thought about it that much i think i was more i was more thinking about like just making the songs or just play I, I don't know I never really thought about it um, when you're in I think when you're in the daily thing of just making music and playing all the time it's like it's not really uh, you don't I, you don't think about it until there is until it happens I suppose you know every so often in a, like that was a great gig at all together now, some crack but it was such a buzz after and uh I suppose sometimes after gigs like that, you're just like, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, that was mad, you know? Uh, so it's great to see, you know? It's great to see people loving it. And it's it's great to be able to be making people happy and to be making people want to learn ballads and learn instruments. And, mm. you know, loads of people have, have come up to me and been like, I started learning the banjo because of you. And that's class, you know? I like, I'm, uh, I only started learning the banjo like, I think four or five years ago and like I, I love it if I can if I can inspire people to learn it that's fucking great you know that's great like I, I wouldn't consider myself the most amazing technical musician or whatever but it's so important to just get people playing you, you don't know what's going to come out of that you know yeah uh well in time you know give yourself another five years and then you'll be expert level at the banjo yeah there you go uh and so like what's your ambition with the album is it is it just like be successful enough that we don't have to regret saying no to the record label or something i think it would be i think we'd be fucking broke if we if we decide yes to the record label but yeah we want we want to make money you know i think <laughs> the best thing we can do for the world is play music there's no good in us doing anything else we'd be shite at anything else you know and uh we just need to make money. We need to, I just want to be able to survive. I don't really care about anything else. If I could just play music every day and then like, have a house to live in and food. Those should be uh, achievable aims, you would hope. Hopefully, for everyone. Everyone should have a house and food. <laughs> cool. Uh, on that note, um, thanks for doing the chat. No worries. We got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks to Andrew for the chats. The Mary Wallopers' self-titled debut album is out now. And before we get to Ono Hianavon to talk about his debut album, The Deepest Breath, let's take our two new tracks this week. All the Brave Hunters is up first with a track called Rising. He'll tell you 
about himself in a moment, but let me just say that the song is gorgeous, but that's probably not a surprise considering the company he keeps in Ye Vagabonds. Looking forward to hearing a lot more from him in 2023. Molly O'Mani, meanwhile, will be a name familiar to many Cork audiences as she's a regular at the likes of Leavis's of Ballet de Hob to Collins in Cork via the bars in Clonakilty along the way. She's just released her debut album, The House of David, on Bandcamp. And we'll hear a song from it called Bittersweet in a moment. She says, This album spans a decade of my life in song. It is a journey from innocence to experience through all the awkward, lovelorn, shape-shifting I've undergone throughout my 20s. It is a monument to love, lessons and growth and to the people who have journeyed with me, the great soulmates who've been the catalyst for deep, irrevocable change and the steadfast reliables who've caught me through thick and thin. I've been blessed in my life with many wonderful people who've loved me very well, often far better than I could myself. This is for them. You can get the album at mollyomani.bandcamp.com. She launches the album at the always amazing Quiet Lights Festival in Cork on Thursday, November 24th. I think tickets might still be available, but you better hurry. It sounds like the gigs at that festival are selling out pretty fast. Anyway, here's Alan, aka All the Brave Hunters, introducing Rising. Then we'll hear Molly and her track, Bittersweet. And then we'll be back on the other side. Hello. My name is Alan McFadden. I'm a songwriter and instrumentalist from County Galway originally, but now I am living in Dublin. For the last few years, I've also been a member of the group Ye Vagabonds. And so I'm really excited about releasing my own debut single today. The band name that I'm using for my own project is called All the Brave Hunters. And this single will be the first of an upcoming EP called Painted Glass, which will be coming out next year. The single is called Rising and it was inspired by, I guess, yeah, it's like a, a wintry kind of song about looking out for each other and the idea of a painted glass window, looking through, reflecting the darkness, and but like feeling the light within. Uh, that's kind of where the inspiration for the song came from. Yeah, this EP was produced by Nick Rayner and Breen McGlynn as well of You Vagabonds. Um, we recorded it in West Cork in Dublin. And it's been such a treat to work with the lads on this one. And, uh, and I'm quite proud of proud of what we've done. Breen also plays with me on the single and in my band. So he's playing bazooki and singing on this one. And my friend Elva Carroll is also singing with us. I also released a, a video that came along there. My brother filmed the video for this track and edited it. We filmed it up in a place called Engelberg in Switzerland in the Alps in the depths of winter uh, last year, uh, which is really fun. It was a nice nice thing to be doing and I felt kind of landed weight to the song or something. I have a busy few weeks now before Christmas ahead of me. Like I'm touring with you Vagabonds and but my next shows I'm going to be doing are in uh, in the support slots in, t- in the 18th of November in Tinnahili Courthouse Arts Centre, and then the 19th of November in Ballancolig, in the White Horse, and then on the 27th of November in Bangor, in the seafront, in the courthouse. And then following that, and then early next year, I'm going to be releasing the next single. But anyway, I really hope you like this track. Uh, Looking forward to hear what you all think of it. Thank you so much. Everyone has a story to tell 
secret jar high up on a shelf With a tiny spoon you can help yourself But you'll never know the depth of the well Every heart there's a window frame painted glass against the rain press your lips upon the pane reach inside carve your begins to sway like a child in your arms I misbehave but if I could have you now I would tell you somehow we were led astray in beautiful decay I drank blood of Christ I stain my lips with lies cause nothing tastes as nice when your heart was next to mine Sink like a 
Hi, I'm Molly O'Mahony. I'm a singer-songwriter and I'm just about to release my debut solo album, The House of David, on Thursday, November 10th on Bandcamp. Also on November 10th, I'll be releasing a single on Spotify and all the various streaming platforms, a track called Bittersweet. This song was written some years ago now and it recounts a really tormented walk through the streets of Dublin at night time in the depths of winter through the throngs of people while twinkling fairy lights flicker overhead. I will also be doing a nationwide and UK tour following on from this release that begins in the Duncairn in Belfast on November 12th and ends in Leavis's of Ballydehob on November 26th and 27th. Tickets for all my shows can be found through my link tree on my social media pages and also through the various venue websites. My Dublin show will be in the Workman's Cellar on November 20th. Caring your scent 
filled my senses in the crisp December air upon this heart. The heavy handprint of love still lingers there. Still lingers there. Oh, when life gives you lemons, burn sugar too. What in the world is a girl supposed to do after a bit of sweet week? Oh, once it bits her sweet week. Oh, once it bits her sweet week. It's been. Oh, it's That's Bittersweet by Molly O'Mahony and before that was Rising by All the Brave Hunters. Finally today, an interview with Owen O'Canavon. He'll be familiar to people in trad and folk circles around Dublin City, I'm sure. He won Best Folk Album at the 2021 RTE Radio 1 Folk Awards for Solace on a record he made with Alton O'Brien. But Owen has gone in a slightly different direction on his own album, The Deepest Breath. Eight of the ten songs are original compositions. Roisin Dove and the Monaghan Jig are the outliers there. He's a Shanno singer, and his voice is the thing that really astounds throughout the record. Ono Canavon sings like no one else. It's experimental. It's not quite a folk album. It's not quite this. It's not quite that. I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but it really, really is a magical listen. The album takes us on a very personal journey. And as you'll hear us talk about, it begins in the night and ends in the light. And you can read into that what you will. My favourite song from the album is Embrace the New Day, the centrepiece of the collection as well. And I think it's pretty self-evident what it's about. Even if you haven't heard the album, you'll get a sense through our chat what, what it's about. Owen is also playing Quiet Lights in Cork alongside Cinderwell on Saturday, November 26th. That gig is at Collins. Let's listen to Embrace the New Day and we'll get into the chat. The rapping sun is rising The night has slipped away The blood red sun is rising Embrace the My quiet cry The day's not here to die Where did you go? How far to 
last night I lay in my old grave its walls rose up around me I waited lifeless for the clay to drag me The constellation scorched the night Like the scars that etched my mind When the world ends, breathe a sigh
the Folk Awards, as people are hearing this, if they're hearing it on the day the podcast is released or tomorrow, you won Best Folk Album last year for Solace on Lee with Alton O'Brien. How do you look back on that album? Yeah, I mean, it's such a it's such a long time ago now, uh, really, uh, because like we had recorded it, I think, in 2019, had planned to put it out kind of early 2020, and then the pandemic happened, and uh, so we kind of sat on it for a while, and then like it became clear that we weren't going to be able to gig it anytime soon, so we just, we put it out in kind of the end of November 2020, I think it was. And that was great, you know. Like we, it was, it was kind of good to put it out because we, we, yeah, we we were busy enough. Like even though there was, you know, there was kind of nice little gigs doing different things and you know online things or that kind of thing. And then obviously then the folk awards happened, and it meant that a lot of new people maybe hadn't heard about it before, heard about it through the folk awards. And by that time, it was like old news for us. But um, definitely really enjoyed making it. It was just kind of this. We we, we recorded it in Scotland in the Highlands with Watercolor Studios of so um, friends of ours. Marianne Kennedy and Mar- and um, Nick uh, Turner they they run this uh, studio and Nick is a fantastic sound engineer so you just go out and like it was like a big escape for us going into the you know Highlands and you can see kind of Ben Nevis from the window and you're singing away and <laughs> so yeah it was it was really, really yeah really nice experience to do yeah and how were the awards themselves Did you have fun yeah it was great crack like I mean I heard they're they're a good night out yeah yeah it was good good <laughs> night out and then. Obviously, John did really well as well. Like we'd, we'd all play, um, John and Francis and we played together in, in uh, Skipper's Alley and lots of different things as well. So he, he, he won a couple of awards as, as well. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, uh, really good fun. Yeah. Tell me more, a little bit more about Solace and Lee. You say that it's a, di- or you said anyway, that it was a digital folk opera. So we, we released the album, but we couldn't do a, a launch, like a, a live gig. And then we were kind of gone. Well, we could do a live stream, but everyone we're kind of sick of that now, and everyone else is sick of it now. And uh, but we kind of wanted to do something interesting, so we made a a film, I suppose, to put out as part of the launch, which Alton described as a digital Vogue opera, uh, which basically yeah sort of weaves in some of the some of the tracks from the album, but then some live stuff as well. And there's kind of ourselves going on a bit of a. Uh, a ramble around Dublin and yeah that's it was kind of a yeah that was another thing that was quite a good, good crack to do but uh it, yeah it was just like one of those things that comes out of necessity like being sick of doing live streams and uh, not being able to do gigs <laughs> and so you've just released as people are listening to this again your debut album Deepest Breath what's different between this and the album that you released with Alton because Alton is on this as well but was is this very much like your vision of what you wanted with an album yeah the the album with Alton is obviously yeah it was, it's a very much a duet we kind of wanted to explore the kind of relationship between the fiddle and the voice and that kind of thing there's kind of similarities I think with those kind of strings and vocals and that but then yeah no this is kind of a departure I suppose for me from anything else I've done because it's mostly most, mostly my own songs like I would have kind of mostly recorded traditional songs before and I've been kind of writing for the last you know, few years or whatever like I think the the kind of foundation of the thing is still like my, would be my kind of Shano singing or whatever but the it's not really a Shano's album like it's more I don't know what you'd call it but it's um yeah it's it's a lot of new so there's only a couple of there's only one only two kind of old song well one old tune and one old song on it um, and the rest of them are are new yeah, it's definitely different, I suppose. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a new kind of a thing for me to be like putting out my own kind of uh, my own songs. One thing that I've 
realized in the past couple of weeks months talking to people who are putting out solo albums is that even though it's your name on it it is still very much a team effort like is that how you look at the album like you're not this is 100% my work you're like oh no it was a lot of people yeah a lot of time into it absolutely yeah yeah so we worked with um recorded Alex Borwick who's brilliant he's got a really good ear and really good kind of presence for stuff as well if you have a firm idea what you want to do and all that kind of thing he can he'll facilitate that but then if you're a bit stuck he can kind of say well what about this or that or the other and yeah and then there's Ian Kinsler and Caitlin Converhouse on guitar and cello a lot of the songs I would have maybe brought it to them first because we play together in different things and just kind of got the bones and down after that kind of brought brought in a few other uh, people when we were actually recording so Alton came in and, and, and did some stuff and Connor Lyons on the Bowron and then Alex plays various different key- keyboards as well <laughs> and then uh, just one track there with my two sisters we, we uh, got, got them in for for that I think I'm I think that's everybody <laughs> <laughs> so um, you like you still bring the song to them and they kind of do their own thing with it you're not like telling them this is what I want this is depends on the song yeah some of the songs I was sure like I, I kind of had the whole arrangement or the sorry well mostly arrangement anyway in my head and then some of it was bringing something to to them and right let's feel this out and see see how it goes and then there was like for example there's another like we'll say the first track on on the he that we put out as a single there a couple of weeks ago that was a kind of a song i'd been trying to write and i was messing around with something else with alton and he was had his viola in a weird tune and then he kind of stuck on a few few weird chords and that kind of thing and then the song just kind of came out like like it was something that i had been had the feeling of wanting to write so yeah sometimes something happens with other people playing music or something that it just got sort of just sort of triggers something maybe that's that was already there like that you're you know so then i went off and wrote it and then came back and we kind of built on it then with with this caitlin again so yeah why did you decide that this was the album that you wanted to make like not a trad album not a shannos album and your most of the songs are original as well which kind of seems like not a lot of the trad albums that are you know kind of out at the moment are kind of doing that sort of thing why did, why did you decide that that was what you wanted to do for the debut album well i suppose uh, a lot of reasons really I, I i think um i wasn't sure what shape it would take at first i, I was thinking of recording kind of more tradie stuff and doing maybe more of a mix or whatever but then the way that it was, and I was still writing while I'd started, like there's one or two songs that were written later on and I was like, actually, I want to put this on as well. When I took a step back and looked at the songs, they all, well, to me anyway, they made sense as part of a, one a project. They work well together, I suppose. So that that was one part of it, I suppose. The other part, I suppose, like, I mean, yeah, like I've done a few different albums now with different people and they've been more on the kind of, Tradie sort of folky end of end of things. Uh, well, I, I call this folk. Sorry, the, but but on the yeah, the old more the old music, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just wanted to get, get these get these songs out. I suppose really was that was the was the thing. I don't know why you know why do you do things. But <laughs> once I started down with getting a few songs of my own out, that I felt like the album would make sense as as part of the, as part of the one thing. Um, I suppose then I just kind of went for it after that. And does it feel kind of like the culmina- culmination of a bit of a journey for you as well? Like being in Skipper's Alley, I know you've released another couple of albums and played with another couple of bands as well in the past 10 years or so. Did you always have in the back of your mind that, 
you know you would be doing a solo album eventually you just have to kind of like learn the uh learn the trade i suppose i don't know really i think i I maybe thought about solo albums and that kind of thing much more when i was like a a teenager and be like you know like oh i'll do this that or the other and but then obviously kind of knowing that like you weren't in any kind of a position to be putting something out at that point and then and then kind of forgetting about it really like and just playing music and playing music with other people and putting out those things and and releasing different kinds of music and um yeah it's only kind of then in the last couple of years again that i've felt like i wanted to put out my own music or whatever like so does it feel like a a journey i think not really well i mean in a a way it is because like you everything you do can have an influence on the next thing you do or you get ideas from different musicians and it all like yeah of course I've you know there's musical influences there that have would have affected my playing and my singing and my writing and so on but I wouldn't have been thinking of like working towards it and this or anything like that I think you're just gonna take things as they as they come like there's a there's an interesting project you want to do and you do it and I wouldn't be kind of thinking too far ahead in terms of what to do next or haven't been anyway like over the last whatever it is 10 years you know your dad was a Shannos singer. Was he the big influence on you? Did you come from a big musical family? Yeah, yeah. So, well, both of my parents are musicians. So dad is a, a Shannos singer and mom is a classical violinist. So we would have had a lot of music at home growing up. We, yeah, learned songs from him. And then as well as that, learned traditional music and, and classical music as well um, growing up. So we had it from both sides, I think. Like, yeah, there's just loads of different kinds of music, I suppose. It was always around in the house. Like, and then my, my two sisters play as well. And, you know, my older sister studied music in Cork. And I remember her coming back when I was, like, she, I would have been, whatever, 16 or something, maybe when she started. Uh, you know, and she, she'd be coming home back with, like, different kinds of, like, Indian classical music and Mongolian throat singing and, like, all these kinds of different, like, Tuareg music and all this. Like, it was, like, amazing for me. Like, I, I had stuff that I hadn't ever come across before. There's all sorts of kind of influences there, but yeah, uh, there was just lots of music in the house all the time, and and uh, there's no way of escaping really. <laughs> <laughs> what instruments uh, did you specialize in? The flute, the acoustic guitar. Yeah, I never played any kind of accompanying instrument like that. I I, I started on the tin whistle, obviously most people do, like a with trad anyway, and then I yeah moved on to flute. Then, like I was trying to learn classical violin and viola uh, i didn't get very far with those i'm glad I, I did a bit of that anyway and then like the well, why didn't why didn't yeah. you get i just never really practiced in the way that i tra- practiced with trad yeah I, you have to like work harder at the classical stuff is it i think not so much that i think that i, I just didn't like I, I i practiced much more on the trad like it wasn't that i kind of needed to do like as in so and i think when i got to my teens then I was already at a level where I could play with other people my age and, you know, have a good time about it. And then there was, a, you know, in, in the trad side of things and there was a whole social side of it. And that kind of spurs you on to to, to keep practicing and keep learning. Whereas with the classical side of things, I, I really, um, I didn't really practice very, you know, as much as I, I should have if I wanted to get anywhere with it. And then by the time I got to like, you know, 12, 13 and I'd be kind of sitting into orchestras and being like completely lost because I hated sight reading and like uh, wasn't very good at it. Um, oh, wow. So, so you were in um, orchestras? Well, just, you know, youth orchestras, not, okay, not that yeah, they were yeah. like... It still sounds know, impressive. Yeah. It still sounds yeah. impressive. Like, you no, know, no, but like, you know, I was, I was like lost, <laughs> sitting there like, being like, 
trying to like look at the person next to me be like <laughs> trying not to make too much sound what are they doing like you know trying to <laughs> like you find out where the music is and you <laughs> you you it's like jumping on a train for fucking 24 bars or whatever and then you fall off again and, <laughs> and and i guess it goes against like the trad instinct of improvising as well does it like you have to play the the stuff that's in front of you like you can't go off and kind of figure it out on your own i'm, I'm presuming yeah, anyway I'm, i think I'm, i would have thought that at the time um definitely i as a as a teenager and then i think you find ways of you know when you're not very good at something you find ways of justifying your, <laughs> your resentment for it but uh but i'm actually glad that i i did study those classical music because i think it does kind of uh you know and then it opens up other kind of uh, avenues of interest like other kinds of music as well like and, and i think it helps you to kind of like think about music and chords and arrangements and like what's going on and like you know even just studying theory and that kind of thing and getting a piece of music and having it and looking at it and seeing what was going on so i think that actually was like quite important i probably didn't like i definitely didn't like kind of realize it uh, maybe at the time but i think that has been kind of important as well yeah kind of stands to you yeah i'd say so i think i think so yeah and and so what did you do after that you i think you were mentioning the concertina then came well, yeah in, you, well, pick, you picked up a concertina and yeah yeah we had one at home my sister was learning it and uh, when i was about 14 i just started messing around with it and yeah i had a one, one lesson there from a friend of my, my dad's he's passed away since larry kinsella uh he was a lovely lovely concertina player but he just gave me a lesson well dad was kind of learning a bit at the time as well and he was kind of looking at me messing around with it and he was like you should learn a system at least you know um so your dad was trying to figure it out as well uh, no he was well he was getting some lessons yeah and so was my sister and that's nice like you never you never stop learning yeah no absolutely yeah he's been played a bit of that and then a bit of kind of tin whistle as well so yeah it was we had it at home and i started messing around with it and then had a lesson from larry to to kind of learn the system i suppose yeah and then kind of after that it was kind of more or less just self-taught just from or just from listening to other people and watching uh you know what they were doing so i play quite a bit of that now and then in more kind of recent years because i don't play a back instrument like a piano or a guitar or whatever i end up writing a lot of songs with the concertina like if i'm trying to figure out chords and that kind of thing what kind of arrangement to put on it it often ends up being like written on the concertina and then like brought to people who play guitars or pianos or whatever ah, right. so that's how a song yeah. is created <laughs> yeah well that would be part of it yeah 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 for but sure. what are you doing uh, on yeah. the concertina just like finding a basic riff riff sort of thing that um like the basic music well yeah it's just i mean it's actually kind of a nice instrument to sing with but yeah just the chords i suppose yeah so you you might write the melody and then you know you could have various different options for kind of chordal arrangements or even rhythmical arrangements, uh, rhythmic arrangements as well. Like, but yeah, you just kind of uh, trying to like play it myself and then figure it out, kind of the bones of it before I bring it to somebody else. Like, yeah. And so, do you think of yourself as a Shano singer first and foremost? Uh, no, uh, I think that's the that's the foundation of my singing. I think that's kind of been what I've sung kind of most of my life. But I, I, I kind of, I do, I suppose I do more than that now. I've got a branch, so, well, this is definitely kind of branching out with just, uh, just channel singing, I would say. But it's definitely heavily influenced. I mean, that, yeah, like it's building on all of that kind of channel singing kind of foundation. It's folk singing or whatever, but it's like with a channel's kind of foundation. I suppose in the last few years, I've, I've been trying to develop 
my kind of singing as well in ways that are not necessarily keeping in the in that kind of shadows way of singing uh, it's funny like yeah I'm just, I'm just kind of yeah it's a good question actually when I, now that uh, i'm thinking about it a bit more like uh, like when i was growing up like uh, everyone like I, I got it all the time like everyone just tell me i sounded just like my dad like you know which is kind of kind of cool like and interesting that but people, that would have been when you were young like, like in, to my 20s and so on yeah oh, okay. uh, and that's kind of interesting to happen and it's kind of nice and and all that you know and then at a certain point you kind of go well you know you want to try and um and uh, a combination of both you're doing new stuff other stuff newer newer stuff and you probably want to develop your own style and way of singing as well for example then some of the stuff i was writing like a couple of tracks in the album that they've quite they've quite an extended range i suppose and i didn't really have that range i wrote the song and i couldn't really sing it particularly well so uh, i went to um a friend of my sister's dominica williams so she's a she's a really amazing soprano you know classical singer so i'd never done any vocal training or anything like that but uh, before but um probably it was about maybe about a year ago or maybe a little middle over maybe two year and a half two years ago i got some lessons from her just to basically work on technique and uh that kind of thing so i found it very uh, very useful how do you write a song and like it kind of gets out of your range well you you write the notes that you want it to be and then yeah like, i mean i could like i could physically hit the notes they just yeah. didn't sound right great very good you know? <laughs> <laughs> whether it sounds good now it's up to other people to say but like it definitely sounds better than it did <laughs> yeah. so yeah um just because i haven't i don't think i've talked about shanos on the podcast before like when when you're learning it when you're young and you're going through puberty and everything changes like is your voice changing and everything you kind of like is that something that you're aware of when it's happening uh yeah, no, I, vocally that's a, anyway. That's a, good, that's a good question. I remember when I, I remember when it happened actually. Yeah, because I, I was singing obviously very high kind of register. I had a like a, I think well, I've been told anyway. I had a really sweet kind of high pitched voice or whatever. And we were doing a school competition, band competition in school. She answered. You'd put in a recording of like a ten minute kind of selection of pieces or whatever, and then you'd get to the second round or whatever, and that was a live performance or whatever, and like. I was in first year, whatever, 13 or whatever, and um, my voice broke about maybe two weeks or a week before the competition. So I went from this to, like, you know, dropping it down, like, an, an octave, and it was a bit of a shock to everybody. I don't think I... Well, obviously, I didn't have very much control over it either. Like, and actually, later on, like, in late, my mom told me, like, the, the couple of years after my voice broke, she was like, yeah, like... W- you were really awful, like, uh, <laughs> like, but we kept telling you we were great because we you knew you'd get through it. So, like, I had no idea. Like, I was just kind of trying to sing away as I, just trying to know. find like the new register, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I t- yeah. It's a strange thing, like you know, you you kind of even deciding when it was breaking. Like, do I keep trying to sing up like that, or do I go down? You know, there's a brief period when you can kind of do both i suppose and deciding which to do so so in terms of like development that yeah so I, but i just i suppose i just kept singing through it then you kind of gradually sort of developed then again you know and so what did you do after school was that when the band started coming into it i know that there was a band before um skipper's alley i can't think of the name is it jippy oh uh jiggy uh, oh yeah well that's later actually yeah yeah I, I'm, well like, i'm still play with both right but um oh they're yeah. both still, still going, going concerts. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're, like, like skipper's we're, alley is like seven or eight people isn't it well it's five now it was seven and uh we kind of we had a f- like and as well i i mean i left for a while i um, went to the states 
for a while and I was so I left the band there and and then I came back and somebody else left to go to the States uh, Finn on he went to do a PhD in Indiana so I I came back and replaced him and uh, and now he's back and somebody else has left and so anyway we're 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 settled now as a lineup I think we've got five, five of us there and um it must be hard to just uh, get you in the same room though is it well we're starting to get there now we're actually we're playing at the folk awards actually we're, we're, oh, we're right, yeah, yeah. Wow. um so there's two albums out like i'm on one the first one and i'm not on the second and we're kind of we're still playing and we'll like i think we'll we'll make another album anyway and i think this is this lineup now is more or less sort of uh settled at this point you know because I, I think when you're kind of younger and lots of people are doing lots of different things and with a lineup as big as that was well, seven people like it which was like it was great to be in but also quite unwieldy and difficult to to um to manage but now i think it's more kind of settled so so yeah that, that's that's good Zaddy, but and then jiggy is a kind of like a how, how would you describe it like trad uh with like electronica beats and um kind of indian uh percussion and there's some kind of persian influences and lots of different kinds of things thrown in it's like a bit of a collective like so we we, we wouldn't i wouldn't like play with them all the time i'd kind of drop in and out and I, i've kind of recorded on, the, on both recorded some vocals on both the albums and then um yeah but it's great crack like uh, I, I really enjoy that it's really good it's it's a festival band basically like you, you kind of yeah it's it's for it's it's for being played in a field uh, <laughs> in the <laughs> summer <laughs> yeah, yeah it must be uh, great to see all of the success that uh, john francis flynn has had over the over the past year 18 months he he also won was a best folk singer at the folk awards yeah um i think yeah and and newcomer as well i think yeah yeah yeah. so yeah brilliant we've been friends like since since we were teenagers really like yeah he's always been a kind of a brilliant musician and like it's great to kind of see him kind of getting the get the kind of recognition for it now because like that first album that he's that album he put out i think is is really really brilliant like in terms of what it what it does in terms of you know the settings of the songs and the arrangements um and obviously his, his own singing of them as well like it's one of those things that can be it sounds like old and new at the same time you know mm, yeah. yeah like he's someone that people that i talk to always kind of mention i feel like he's almost like a musician's musician sort of thing you know in terms of the stuff that people are listening to you know it's yeah. uh, um like not nominated for the choice prize one of the great albums it wasn't nominated for the choice prize but it just seems like everybody loves it and yeah, yeah. like you always get such a great reception and he's getting like acclaim further afield from ireland too which is yeah. great to see yeah, yeah. let's talk through some of the songs on the album it's kind of bookended by the first song, Anol Nahiha, and uh, the last song, Bon Shilsha? Uh, bon Haisha, yeah. Bon Haisha, yeah. which means first light. You say in the press release that they're sister songs, they have the same melody and same lyrical crossover, but a very different arrangement. D- was that an idea that you had from the start? Or was uh, like, how did, how did that work out? Yeah, well, yeah that, well, that was the one that I, like, I had been trying to write for ages and then when I was messing around with Olton and it sort of just came out. It, it, like, it's a song, I suppose, about a, like, particular time in my life where I had kind of a lot of, I suppose, mental tor- turmoil or whatever you want to call it, or mental kind of distress. The first song, like, Unal Nihi, I suppose, I don't really know how to tra- translate this. Unal um, means breath or breathing and then he obviously means night so i kind of translate as night breathing but um i i I don't know how to get across (laughs) the idea of the night itself breathing and the kind of breath that you have during the night (laughs) so 
but anyway so that that was like yeah they have the same and then the, the second one is Bon Heich and like so one of them is about the difficult time or whatever and they so that's the first track and then the last track is Bon Heich is the first light so it's, I guess it's coming out of that and kind of gone into but like a period of healing and so they have the same melody and there's some like there's kind of mirroring in the lyrics I suppose uh, but the lyrics are, are, are different and significantly different as well like in, in, in some areas but they're accompanied completely different like so so one of them is accompanied in C minor with viola and and, and uh, cello, and then this kind of rhythmical sort of accompaniment, and the other is in a major key in B flat. Also with cello and viola, but the concertina as well. It's not that kind of frank, frantic sort of kind of feel to it. It's uh, just since it starts out with the night and it ends with the light. Uh, do you feel it as a cathartic album? Did you find the songs kind of like helped you in some way to process like whatever you were going through? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, on those songs are. Like those two are probably the two of the more personal ones. I think the other songs in the album have more of a not that they don't relate to like my own experience or whatever, but they I think they also have a broad like it's a broader sort of a lens maybe. But yeah, those two I think are like probably the two most kind of personal ones to me. Yeah, I, I guess there is a kind of catharsis, catharsis with trying to put out stuff like that, and I guess it is a kind of a way of processing stuff through music, like you know. And tell me about writing the song in Irish, like not being able to translate the song title properly. Is is it a case of you're writing it in Irish or is it just you're, you're seeing what works best, the Irish or the English? Like, are they interchangeable if you if you wanted them to be? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I usually would write in one language and I would kind of start and there'd be an appropriate language for the song that I'm trying to write and I seek to, seek to that. It's because Irish, Irish is my first language, but then English uh, is obviously, you know, everywhere. So like, I'm, it's not that I'm kind of stronger in Irish or, or you know, in, in many ways, because I studied in university in English, like my English might be in some areas slightly better. But then in some areas, I think I'm like more comfortable in Irish, I think. And you kind of know, right, this, this before you even start on it, that, you know, this is the language for the song. And then you proceed accordingly as well uh dublin city fever dream uh is one of the next songs you sing dublin city's caving in on me i guess that's fairly evident what that's about the state of the city uh, yeah well uh, yeah there's a bit of both there's like i mean it's actually it's about a fellow i met on grafton street actually he was playing the, playing the whistle and it kind of describes that encounter again like there's my own kind of personal experience there whatever yeah, it's kind of like a mixture of like kind of what I was going through at the time, and then the conversation that I had with him. But then, yeah, if you look back at the, the the lyrics, you could maybe you could you could read it as, as being a, a more kind of generalized thing, but um, rather than a kind of a personal kind of interaction with. I, I guess, yeah, it can be both as well. Yeah, you know? I, th- I yeah, thought I thought yeah. that was kind of one of the themes. I, I don't yeah. have it in front of yeah. me, but isn't there another song that kind of tackles kind of the state of Dublin? Probably the, the deepest breath, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's on the yeah. second half of the album anyway. I think I, I yeah. just don't have it written down in front of me. Yeah. I, I thought I thought that might be what the I deepest mean. breath is is definitely like that's not a like so yeah. Dublin City Fever Dream. I I wrote it as a personal encounter, but yeah, it's definitely like it 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 relates to the other stuff on the album that kind of deals with those issues as well. Even though I didn't kind of like think it at the well, I don't know. Did I? Think, I can't even remember now. <laughs> no, the, yeah, the deepest breath is definitely one that like. I, yeah, I was reading about this woman called Annie. Uh, she passed away in uh, homeless accommodation there in, in Churchtown a few years ago and left behind her, her two kids. And so it kind of deals with that, I think. 
when I grew up, we all we all just remember here and like all that kind of. I don't know how to describe it. Like, um, I probably it wasn't called that at this this point but today, but I think people call it grind set now. Like, and this idea, but you'd hear all these kind of cliches about like you can do, you can do whatever you set your mind to, follow your dreams, and all that kind of thing. Like, and I think that like completely kind of ignores the systemic kind of barriers that a lot of people face, and the, the kind of the societal the way this society's set up is not set up for like everybody to be able to do that. But then at the same time, it was kind of the songs about reclaiming dreams a bit and that kind of thing. Yeah. Roisin Dove is the only traditional song yeah. on the album. Y- yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, why Roisin yeah. Dove? I love the song. It's one of my favorite songs. Who, who's it by? Well, it's old. It's a it's an old love song. It's kind of my own version, I think. I've, I've put in a few kind of twists, but it's based on some of the kind of Connemara versions, like Sarah and Yigoyim, one of my favorite singers. So she does a beautiful version of it and kind of draws on that a bit. And some other people as well, I think. It's an interesting song. Like It's quite old, I think. Is it from the 16th or 17th century? Um, but it's it's an old love song. It's one. Of, it's actually one that, like, the kind of cultural nationalist movement would have taken it as, like, read into it that it's like a, they say kind of like a Roisin is like a metaphor for Ireland and all this kind of thing. It's about, you know, like making it into a political song and like yeah so, so a lot of people would have kind of seen Roisin Dove as a political song I don't and I, I well I that's I guess yeah how you sing it I sing it as like a, I, I always I learned it as a as a love song and I I'm thinking of it as a love song when I sing it but it's kind of interesting that like I know that there'd be people there that might hear it and think of it as a political song so anyway it's kind of an interesting thing about it I think Embrace the New Day it sounds very upbeat. I was listening to it there uh, on the way over here and there's a point where I was like, oh, this is a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> How do you view the song? Do you see it as a positive? Do you see it as maybe the turning point of the album, is it? It's kind of like the middle song, I think, isn't it? Do you know what? I, I think it's, I see it as a, it obviously deals with like quite a like very dark subject, but I, I see it as a positive song, yeah, because it's about keeping going. Yeah, it's about hanging in there, basically. Yeah, it kind of relates to <laughs> like a time where I did hang, like have to suppose hang in there or whatever. But yeah, and I guess it was kind of like relates to I suppose a bit of a turning point in my, in my own life, I suppose. And and so therefore I kind of view it as a very positive song. Like the music is so kind of like um like just feel good. Almost. It kind of takes a turn, like and it kind of makes you feel. Ah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Musically, it's it's, yeah. I I think it sounds quite upbeat, and but yeah, I I I kind of see it as obviously. Yeah, again, it deals with some quite quite dark, but it's also for me. I I I see it as a as a positive song. Yeah. Uh, Only the earth. Then it seems like a bit of a. I I think that that is that an old song or the lyrics old. Oh no, that's that's. Oh okay okay. It's is is dealing with the climate. Yeah. Crisis. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got a quote from James Connolly in it. Oh, um, okay, that's I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I saw that. So he wrote the song. I say, um, that anyway, that can't. I won't be able to remember to quote the whole verse. Or, but like, it's um, our demands most moderate are we only want the earth. And but he he was talking obviously about the labor movement and you know workers obviously fighting back and being told that um, by various kind of different people that you know you you have to be moderate and you have to you know and he say well our our demands most moderate are we only want the earth. And I think it's like in the context of what we're going through at the moment with uh, climate crisis, like when you see like like school kids getting out on the street and like being protesting and different kind of 
indigenous groups and so on and uh, and workers and so on just fighting back over various different aspects of this uh, of what's going on and the kind of well particularly when you see kids being kind of patronized by the kind of various parts of the media over you know being idealistic uh, being idealistic and it's like you know and you should, and, and being too radical and so on i think it's really good i think the Connolly slogan is really appropriate for the time we are we're in now yeah so that's kind of obviously relates to the title as well but so the song kind of goes into like yeah i suppose it's like deals with sort of climate anxiety but also i think it has a positive a hopeful kind of a spin to it as well that seems to be one of the things with the album so it's like oh the song started off dark but no no there's <laughs> it's the, that bit of light there. <laughs> maybe uh i didn't <laughs> i mean it i didn't uh <laughs> i didn't um plan that i, I suppose you, you just try right try and write here but it would be kind of my general outlook and i, I don't think you can just ignore stuff that's going on that yeah. isn't great <laughs> um, the various but, right, you know, uh, like, we could talk about any number of crises yeah. at the moment yeah I think I don't think you can ignore that and I think I also am kind of like optimistic that it's possible for people to organise and change the system and kind of bring about a better kind of a society in a better world I suppose you know so I, I you know that obviously that's my outlook and therefore it's reflected in the songs I think yeah and then Cap uh cat gaelic yeah uh, oh, is um cut gaelic yeah so Jesus. sorry now oh my god uh, <laughs> should have just let you take that. <laughs> no, sorry, um sung with your two sisters yeah have you, have you always played music with them yeah like not enough not as much as but we would we yeah we play together like um over like as you know have grown up and now you know now that we're older as well yeah so those two there's it's, it's a set of two like a a song and a tune uh, the first one is called the Mali Ruan and it's a well, the two that I wrote for my two sisters the song the first one is for my sister about my sister's cat uh, <laughs> it's just like there's a there's a tradition in the kind of Irish uh, language thing of, of like roll coin they're kind of little short jokey songs and that kind of thing so and so I guess it's kind of it is that like it's just kind of messing but it's about my, my sister's cat who um, loves singing and uh a very talkative cat and uh, also sleeps on her face uh, like a, <laughs> uh, there's all, all that kind of thing in it and there's a bit then the rest of it is kind of lilting so the second tune is ton, ton and it's uh, so i wrote that for my other sister for Saluk because uh, she's one of the more nocturnal people i know so uh, the moon ton the moon is out yeah so uh, and then like kind of then the two kind of work i thought the two worked together as a set and i, I, I thought it'd be good to have them coming in on it and playing it with me so and are they still making music themselves or playing music yeah they? both of them yeah yeah so Sadok, um well everybody sings Sadok plays fiddle and piano and uh composes as well contemporary music and, and well uh, composes a trad as well they're kind of well in a traditional style as well um Wern plays the cello and Constina and uh, she writes her own stuff as well so and they've both played in, with various different people going over the over the years and so when your family all get together like at christmas or anything like that like are you all just bringing like is it natural that you'll all just play music together yeah we that's, would yeah that's great yeah we'll sing songs anyway and then we do yeah it just kind of sort of naturally happens as well somebody would start singing or <laughs> and we'll be at it for a while you know. <laughs> <laughs> well into the night <laughs> so how do you look at the album as a whole are you proud of what you've achieved yeah no i'm happy with it like i, I i'm kind of i'm happy with how it turned out for sure like i, I think when you're doing something you're kind of you have an idea of of where to go with it but you don't really know like how how it's going to turn out or whatever but yeah really really happy with how it's uh, how, how it's turned out and uh, yeah just looking forward to getting it out there now and and it's been because it's been a kind of long 
Brosnan's in some senses because I've kind of worked on it sporadically. I'm really looking forward to actually doing some gigs and playing them, playing the music live, you know. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be uh, be interesting to do. Have you got any yeah. gigs coming up? Uh, I'm hoping to announce a few things yeah. soon, uh, but okay. I, I um, with everything that's going on and uh, working and that kind of thing as well at the same time. So I, uh, so I think getting the album out now and then probably in January, February, uh, do some do some gigs. It's the plan. Yeah. Sorry, I should say when this is going out, I'm playing. <laughs> we're playing in um, uh, Quiet Lights actually in on the twenty. Oh, okay, uh, great down um, in Cork. Yeah, and I think we're playing in the night before in Kinsale and Prim's bookstore. So I think those nights are the. It's a Friday and it's a Saturday anyway, basically. So great a taster of what's to come Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) cool well uh congrats on the album and best of luck with with the release and everything else thanks for cool nice one
That's Anol Nahiha, the opening track of Ono Kenavon's album, The Deepest Breath. And all I can do is apologize for the Irish that you heard me speak, trying to pronounce some of these titles while I was talking to Owen. Oh my God, I got, I got them so wrong. Really need to get back into the Duolingo and relearn my Irish. But The Deepest Breath is a really great collection. You can listen on Spotify or go buy it at Ono Kenavon's Bandcamp page. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Mary Wallopers and Owen for the chats, and thanks to Alan, aka All the Brave Hunters, and Molly O'Mani for the voice notes and the new tunes. Go support the artists in any way you can, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. It's almost listicle season, the most wonderful time of the year. I can't wait. (laughs) 